whether it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, whether it doesn't matter whether you were born in the States or in Afghanistan, there's certain things that are values, universal values that touch us all in order to move this agenda forward for inclusion. And, and mind you, the next big wave will be about inclusion. And it's not so much about diversity, it's all about like how the next generations have a bigger sense of tolerance and have a bigger sense of, you know, like of, of, of resistance and actually are going to be buying with their beliefs, voting with their, with their hearts, but also understanding that their choices that they do will be for those companies, brands and industries where they can work in what they want with uh, companies that match their values that absolutely will be related to inclusive environments. Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. The people at Gray have a long history of creating famously effective ideas. And so, with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creative minds from all corners of life how they came up with their best ideas. And that's what matters for Gray Matter. On this episode of Gray Matter, we'll discover how an idea can sometimes be traced back to our earliest and most formative childhood experiences. Hi, I'm John Petrolis, Worldwide Chief Creative Officer at Gray. And this week's idea is the New York-based nonprofit company, We Are All Human. We'll speak with the founder, Claudia Edelman, and learn how she is advancing the agenda of diversity, inclusion, and equity through events, research, and corporate activation. Our interviewer is Grace Carol Chang, who talks with Claudia about where the idea for We Are All Human came from, how the Hispanic community could advance their agenda, and how important it is to talk about failure openly. We Are All Human's mission is to advocate for every human to be respected and empowered by focusing on our common humanity. They are devoted to diversity and inclusion as a way to achieve equity. This is Claudia Edelman. Um, the idea of World Human started a couple of years ago when um, I was working for the United Nations. I've been 25 years working on global affairs. And, um, and I am an absolute optimistic or possibilistic because I see the data and I see the numbers from the you know, birth from plane perspective. And I, despite being bombarded by negative news and negativity all the time, I do see that the world is better than ever before. And that if you would be, uh, if you would be a baby girl flying in the sky, trying to see where you land, you know, like in the caves, middle age, 10 years ago, five years ago, or today, there, there's no better time than today to be born. There's no better chance for you to have electricity, education, choices, health, um, you know, the right to vote, the right to choose your life, um, the right to everything. And, and despite that, there's one thing that was growing, which was discrimination and racism and xenophobia. And, and that was something that I saw immediately with, uh, you know, with the organizations I was working with. We posted a video on UNICEF and, you know, like there would be uh, one political statement or one area and there was a bunch of comments targeting that, you know, like that video of like African kids and, you know, like why are we going to be helping others? And so We're All Human was an effort or was 
boring as an effort to remind people precisely of that, that we are all human, that we belong to the same human family, and that the one thing that can really stop the progress that we have as humanity is that if we forget that we belong to the same group, if we start creating and allowing the sense of otherness to grow bigger, uh, particularly with technology helping and algorithms helping to create silos in such a dramatic pace, um, it is important that we make an effort to 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 train that muscle of, of humanity and seeing people as people, not as you're a woman or you're a man or you're, you're a Republican or a Democrat or something like that. Uh, so that was actually the the origin, uh, the origin of the creation of World Human to remind us that we belong to the same human family, advancing diversity, inclusion, uh, inclusion and, and, and equity. And for those of us who who may not know, uh, We're All Human is is it a private company or is it an organization? It's a charity, it's a non for profit founded uh, two years ago here in America. Um, we've been um, working on global issues of you know diversity and inclusion, uh, but we're tapping now for the last year into the U.S. Hispanic. Um, into the U.S. Hispanic agenda, which is probably 30 years behind every other agenda that I've seen. So that's where we're really focused right now. And how long from when you first had the idea to when it was actually brought to life? Well, probably a year and a half on the making. I'm thinking about what was needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think that with so many global challenges to fight, you really want to make sure that you're not stepping into anyone, uh, you know, like into duplication or into doing something that is not, not really needed. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of research about what were the gaps, uh, what were the assets that humanity had as a whole, mm-hmm. and went around and talked to different people. And they said, like, we need marketing and creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, brilliance to bring the, you know, like to bring that sense of family to remind us that if there would be an earthquake anytime, it wouldn't make no distinction. So why are we making distinctions, you know, like when, right. when something is hitting us? Um, and that, uh, so that was prob- probably, uh, probably a year and a half in understanding the, the landscape. And then from that moment into getting into Hispanics, probably the same amount of time as a marketer myself, mm-hmm. you know, like I base myself on data. So I, I, I was looking at like this Hispanic agenda doesn't make sense. There's there's a square that doesn't circle. There's a square that doesn't want to circle here, because Hispanics, U.S. Hispanics, are huge in the states, massively contributors. 60 million people, 18 percent of the population, 12 percent of the GDP. Um, and we're the youth. We're 29 year old average, whereas you know, like the rest of non-Hispanics are 46. And the mode, which is the most common age of Hispanics, is 11 years old. Uh, whereas the mode for non-Hispanics are 50, 56. So when I started looking at that reality, moving to America, being fresh, you know, moving to America, saying like, first of all, great to know that I'm a Hispanic. I lived my entire life thinking that I was a happy Mexican. But here you go, you move to America, and then all of a sudden you're like Hispanic. And um, having heard, having having understood that, and then looking at those numbers, I was super happy celebrating that I was going to be received, you know, like with cheerleaders and pompons saying like, thank you, Hispanic, you're giving this country so much. 12% of the GDP is bloody a lot. Uh, that's $2.13 trillion, $2.3 trillion. Um, and nevertheless, that 
is not the reality. And we're 18% of the population, but only 1% in any television programming that we exist. We're less than 2% of any advertisement. I like it's massively misrepresented, underrepresented and undervalued in every in every category, politics, media, businesses. So took my time understanding why is this reverse marketing problem so precise and so so you know like so acute and what can we do as a foundation using you know like using the skill sets that we have and that's where that's where we are trying to unify the community which is massively fragmented and trying to change its perception what was your trajectory before we were all human you mentioned you were a marketer before we were all human but i'd love to know you know where did you get this great background from i um i I, I I literally left my uh, university prom from Mexico and left from the party with my super hairspray, you know, like <laughs> coiffure. And I remember like having those, you know, chongo super tied off. I went straight from that prom to Europe and I never came back. And so I'm a globalist. I've been working as a diplomat for, for Mexico, then as a journalist, as a press correspondent. Um, um, in agency, in newspaper, and in radio, and then moved um, uh, moved after doing a specialization at the London School of Economics on political communication, moved straight into the World Economic Forum, where I started working on global issues. So anti-globalization, uh, you know, like trying to cre- create community, bringing arts and PR and the sports and um, religious leaders to, you know, like to the global agenda in a way was a great school. Mm-hmm. So I was working for uh, almost 10 years at the World Economic Forum from where I moved to humanitarian affairs. Mm-hmm. So started um, Angelina Jolie took me from um, pretty much from the World Economic Forum to the UN. And so I was with a UN refugee agency. Um, I moved then to public health with the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria, um, with UNICEF, a number of years working on advocacy. And my my last set of jobs have been uh, with the executive office of the Secretary General of the UN, launching uh, frameworks such as the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, the Global uh, Compact for Migration, and, you know, like an and, and, and then linking it to different industries and different areas. Where did this courage come from? Because it sounds like we're all human. It's, it's, it's quite, a, quite a big task. You know, a lot of, a lot of loft, like great lofty goals. Um, and, and it's something that, you know, I, I admire. But, you know, where did this courage come from? I think that there are two things that uh, just came to my mind when you asked that question. And the first one is a childhood a point which I think that everybody has a story where you can always go back and say that's everything who I am and what I do started there mm-hmm. and mine was my mom and my dad both basketball players um, had three kids and they had a very rare uh, genetical incompatibility mm. so my the three of us uh develop overly fast and so we were you know like we were walking uh to have the time. So when you're supposed to be walking with one, we were walking with six months or something mm-hmm. like that. And so um, my two siblings, when they hit the nine month mark, they started going backwards. So from running to walking, from walking to crawling, crawling, sitting down, and they died. So I I was the middle one. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a microscope. You can only imagine that everybody was like my entire family set of teachers and everyone just like was watching whether I was going to go backwards at any given point in time. Um, but also with the feeling that I was super strong and that I was almost stronger than death and that 
everything was possible. So I, I, I grew up with the belief that I was super strong and that I was, that everything was possible. I was even able to defeat death, you know, like right. my own destiny. Right. So when you're fighting something like malaria, you're like, bring it on. Like if I, you know, like if like with right. that sense, but also with, um, you know, like my first ever campaign, I think was with anti-tobacco with the WHO and seeing how my father was like so keen on being like the Marlboro guy with the mm. super tight jeans and the boots and sexy, you know, like <laughs> sexy cowboy. And my mom, I could see her with her gloves doing perfectly circles of smoke mm. and just saying like smoking was so cool and awesome and it was possible to do it on the airplanes. And I remember it was aspirational, you know, like mm -hmm. in a way having the woman super elegant smoking. Mm -hmm. And when I started working in that campaign, every one of my friends who was a smoker, this is 25 years ago or something, um, they were like, this is never going to happen. People are never going to quit. Mm -hmm. And we forget that mm -hmm. it was absolutely possible. It was not easy, but it was possible. And it was through one single image, the passive smoking through you know, the lungs, your lungs that are contaminated by someone, that you could see changes in legislation. It's not possible to smoke everywhere like before. It's uh, socially condemned, so it's not mm -hmm. very cool. Mm -hmm. And individually, you have a feeling. So why, why wouldn't I, if I saw that trajectory, why wouldn't I expect that for racism? Why couldn't we dream of a world where racism and discrimination is simply socially unacceptable, mm -hmm. where you have to actually hide yourself uh, when you want to just like tolerate human beings as opposed to accept them with the technology and with the advances that we have and with experience that is possible, like with experiences we've had as a world, why on earth are we not going to be able to do that? Absolutely. I, I do feel the sense of I want to get this type of courage because that it is so aspirational for me. And what about present day? And what do you turn to for a source of inspiration to keep going in this journey with the goals that you've set for We All Human? I... I have two main, uh, like, m not sure that there are sources of inspiration, but the two areas that I know that have been very helpful for me in whatever campaign, whatever work I've been doing are creativity and mm -hmm. technology. Mm -hmm. And so I always go back to those because mm -hmm. I think that uh, that's where you get the hearts and the minds of people. That's where you get behavioral change. That's where you get uh, systemic change mm -hmm. uh, when you're able to, track, convince, but also attract and use properly those. So we're all human in the next phase is pretty much looking at how to get Hispanics into a different, you know, like into a different narrative in one in which we're seen, heard and valued, where we're not invisible, but visible, where we're not portrayed negatively, but positively as the stars that we are. We are seeing unfortunate changes that are happening and, and a lot of people are being personally impacted. But at the same time, as with any idea, there will always be criticism. Who are your biggest critics? Well, I mean, like not everybody, not not everybody wants, you know, like wants to to adhere to multicultural, you know, like to multicultural environments. And I do understand that. I mean, I've, I've been working on refugees and migration for my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I also understand that, you know, like if you're a grandmother that you live in a border town in Texas and all of a sudden you go to the store and you don't find your bread anymore because it's full by tortillas. I mean, you're going to feel like you're. this is not the country that you understand. This is not the place 
place where you were born. And you need to actually be empathetic and you need to be able to live with tension. Like, yes, I understand these times have changed and, you know, like there's more, um, the the world is browner, more feminine and with a bigger heart than before. I get that. Uh, but I think that having that tension is very, very healthy and is very good for humankind to be able to talk about like respectful tension right. um, for the work that we're doing with uh, with U.S. Hispanics. There's a lot of, you know, like there's a lot of people that have not seen the value yet. And mm -hmm. I think that it is on us to build a business case to understand, to make people understand that there's no way that your company can grow without Hispanics. There's no way that you can hire in the future without Hispanics. So it's actually great for you to be a smart visionary and start looking at the benefits that Hispanics are bringing to your brand, to your company, to the country. Um, for for the for the global, just like for for a bigger, we have a podcast called the Global Goals Cast. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the podcast of the Sustainable Development Goals, and we talk about climate change, and we talk about migration, we talk about all the global challenges, and the framework of the Sustainable Development Goals, educating people. So there are people that don't believe in that, and are like that don't want to get into that train. And so there's always that 20% of society that is absolutely far away from what you believe, 20% that is totally converted, but we're going for the 60% that is in the middle. The flip side of that is I'm sure you have a great support system as well. Who are your biggest supporters in your life and supporting the idea? My husband, 100%. I think that without Richard, my um, my husband has, you know, like an incredible wisdom, generosity, and compassion, but also a sense of uh, a sense of where things are going. Mm -hmm. So he um, he has been a big, big support of everything that I've I've been doing, um, particularly uh, particularly in this Hispanic. Hispanic new face of what I'm doing without the system, without the UN, because I'm, so on, I'm on sabbatical from the UN. And um, I would say every single woman in my family is a support network. And I just saw it, how important it is for and how lucky and how blessed I am to be able to be born in a family like a Latina that I am. I think that for us, la madre, la abuela, la tía are super important. And I am I'm blessed actually to have that support system. Mentorship wise, these country is so wonderful because people are willing to give back and to mentor and you just have to gently ask. So I'm blessed actually to have a, a great set of, you know, mentors that have been guiding us and me on on every single step on the way since we launched this foundation. We've also started to hint towards, you know, some pro programs that you may have for Hispanics specifically. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I, I have to tell you the insights that are guiding uh, the strategy that we have is that 77% of Hispanics have no clue of their own power. So there's an insight of blindness. Hispanics are blind about their own power. Um, the second insight is that Hispanics are fragmented. So the Cubans don't want to talk to the Mexicans, don't want to talk to the Venezuelans, the rich don't talk to the poor and so on. So because we're fragmented and inside of a bubble, we don't see how big we are. and We don't see that we can actually hold hands and no one would actually dare to confront 60 million loud people, right? But we're not loud and we think small. Mm -hmm. So, and the third and last insight is that 76% of Hispanics feel 
that they have to be, they have to pretend they're someone they're not at the workplace. Uh, if you're Jorge, you have to pretend to be George and you leave your best self at home, meaning the hardworking, super optimistic, aspirational, respectful person that you are, you leave it at home and you bring like a robot to work. So you're not satisfied and you're not bringing your best self. So the with those insights, what we want to do is unify the Hispanic community. Mm. So bring all the leaders together to have a shared agenda. It's not not an aspirational like hot air one is like it's not pretending to be world world the world and you know like and so on it's just like taking the best examples like the Chinese and the Japanese don't necessarily get along all the way but when it comes to having a shared agenda they are the Asia society and they go for scholarships and they go for entry to university so what's our agenda how are we going to unify our vision tell me about your first success I think that um and, and this is where I was already with World Human, but I was still uh, working for the UN, having uh, created the SDG Alliance as, mm. you know, like when I was launching and part of the uh, part of the making the sustainable development goals uh, more known, famous, absorbed by people, bringing um, the idea to the Cannes Advertisement Festival and saying we should, you know, like have one incentive for the creative industry to get along and actually start absorbing the sustainable development goals. Mm. And it took two years to make it happen. But the first year that I was in Cannes, where we launched, you know, we had more than 1,000 um, entries for the award. I helped to create. I f it felt really good. What was your biggest failure? Typically on social media and in, in, in the press releases, you see these amazing success stories. But I we think don't talk enough about failure. We don't. I absolutely don't. agree with you. I absolutely agree <laughs> with you. Look, I mean, like even for World Human, we uh, in 2018 we went we, we went bankrupt. So we had no like we started the operation pretty much in September 2017, and by May 2018 we ran out of funds because we were producing this very expensive podcast and we just realized that it was not going to be sustainable. So I called everyone in the team and I said, like, that's it. We have to stop producing the podcast. Mm -hmm. We have to sack everyone. We just have to stop. And it was a massive sense of failure and, and, and loss, particularly because I... I left the, you know, like the UN mm -hmm. to try and best myself into, you know, like into doing something new without, it was the first ever time that I had a foundation. It was the first ever time that I didn't have a massive infrastructure, 6,000 colleagues. So it it was very sad and, uh, and it, it took a lot of uh, courage for my colleagues to say, some of them said like, okay, that's it, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. And most of them said, we'll give it another try. So mm -hmm. people actually stuck there and uh, we produced even more podcasts for three months. People were not charging salaries, something ridiculous of commitment of the, mm -hmm. you know, when you believe, when you believe in something, which is what you're doing is right. Mm -hmm. The business model was wrong, but the, what we wanted to do was right. And right. the team was right. right. So what we did is figure out the business model. So I think that what was what my lesson was um, that I didn't see it before. I didn't want to accept the failure before. Mm -hmm. I didn't like I left it until the very last minute mm. to accept that there was something that was going um, so wrong. Um, but by opening it up and being so honest, I think that having so many people collectively saying we're going to fix, we're going to find what the business model is and we're going to try to make it work um, was a great, you know, like a, a great and very solid comeback. Was there any moment 
in your career that you've ever wanted to throw in the towel? Or the, the question I should ask is, how many times have you wanted to throw in the towel and give up? Um, oh, all the time. <laughs> all the time. I mean, like, imagine working for, you know, like these organizations that are known as so bureaucratic and you, you know, like I... Um, I, I like I, I want to I do want to tell you one one personal story about throwing the towel. So my daughter was six, I think, um, and in her birthday in Switzerland when we were living in in Europe, um, she told me for my birthday what what I really want is to be a refugee so that you spend enough time with me the way that you spend it with refugees. Oh, no. And that was so hard for me to hear. That hurts my heart. I know. (laughs) It was so hard for me to hear. And I was so upset. And I was like, wait a second. I'm giving everything to this organization that is so bureaucratic. And nevertheless, you know, like I'm facing a wall all the time. So much. I mean, like I'm giving so much. My daughter Mm -hmm. wants to be a refugee for her birthday. Um... And so what what happens is that at the end of the day, I just keep getting angry. So I have to go to the source. When you were asking what gives me inspiration, going to the field, going and mm. see the people. You know, like when um, when I was in that occasion, I was like, sure, sure thing, you're going to come one day to a refugee camp with me and right. you will see why. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here when, you know, like when... We work so hard and we think that the needle is not moving fast enough. Mm -hmm. I just go back to see people in the faces and young people that believe and have put their trust on us Mm -hmm. just to keep going, tapping into the anger. What's the best advice you were given along the way? I think that two uh, main ones, one of them, like my my mother, uh, my mother is a genius and she said women particularly have to be acrobats and toreros. So you have to be um, be able to graciously, you know, like juggle with a number of things. And I think that having that sense of like assumption of, yeah, we will have to juggle more was great for me. And that doesn't mean that, you know, like it's unfair. It's just like we have a different skill set <laughs> that men probably can't juggle. <laughs> and so, you know, like uh, having that sense of like you have to be able to juggle gracefully and know how right. to be an acrobat as opposed to complain about it and say like, okay, so there will be the home and the kids and the, you know, like family and the social and uh, the personal impact that you want to have and, 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 and so on. And the second thing was, meaning don't take anything personally, just let things pass through. Don't engage into any bully conversation or any fight or any kind, unless it's extremely, you know, like it's extremely necessary. And giving that, um, giving that advice further to my daughter, I see her, you know, like in, in school or in this or in that so many times, so many of the things that happen happen because of interpretation of personal taking it and uh, like engaging at the personal level with something that is not yours that you cannot fix but that you should just like graciously let go has been very useful you also seem to have this this positive energy and attitude towards towards life and your career um where did that come from and just out of curiosity where did that come from because i i do feel like even in this conversation it is contagious <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And I, I like maybe my my mom also gave me that sense of um, mission 
I think, mm -hmm. because of my siblings and all that, uh, when they died, she was like, there must be a reason. Mm -hmm. There there must be a reason that, you know, like you didn't die because mm -hmm. I was the, like, I literally was like on the same career path as my siblings were. And and I think that having, having I don't know where where it comes from, maybe maybe because I do see but I have seen change. Mm -hmm. I have seen how it's possible. I've seen I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen how, you know, we were able to curvate. I think how, you know, like I I I I I couldn't have kids and all of a sudden I could. I'm like I've seen how um I've seen change and I I love this planet mm -hmm. and I I I'm a, I'm not I'm not an optimistic only. I'm a possibilistic because I know it's possible because mm -hmm. I've seen it. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's that's what drives the drives i don't know yeah yeah that's i mean i've never asked i've like i've never thought about that where does it come <laughs> from probably from from the background as well my mom is the most optimistic person in the planet mm -hmm. and she's a fighter and an amazon and i think that when you were when you're like even having lost two kids and having changed her profession like three times she was a basketball player and then an economist and now she's an actress and yeah. uh, she's still acting and you know like like she goes on for life and I think that when when you're surrounded by positive energy probably you just like are born with it or you know like you grow with it so right, if right. that is true that is contagious then we should have even more you know like <laughs> we should create more of an army of optimists so that we can all become more like that because actually the world is getting better so there's no reason to be like anything but optimistic well to me it sounds like we're all human is it's almost its mission you know that the army of, of optimists trying to create positive change so so i mean i think there's something there there you go <laughs> and we do have um we do have every uh, you know we go to milestones like the world economic forum happening in davos the can advertisement festival and the unga the the united nations general assembly we do have what we call the parties for good mm -hmm. which are like key events for people to come and actually know that there's going to be a week of hell where you're going to be hearing what all that we need to do. But tonight we're celebrating what we have done right. and start the week or start the milestone, whatever it is, with a sense of network. Uh, these are the champions, but also with a sense of progress, which mm -hmm. is very important. Everybody wants to be in the winning team everywhere where you are. Thanks, Carol. That was really interesting. You know, um, and such an important part of ideas is the relentlessness it takes sometimes to see them through. And I kind of get the sense that when Claudia puts her mind to something, uh, nothing stops her. Yeah, that's definitely true. She's a force to be reckoned with. And I'm sure we can all aspire to have that same kind of passion and energy. That's great. Now, so how can people learn more about We Are All Human? So to learn more, you can head on over to weareallhuman.org. All right, thanks. That, so that does it for us. If you'd like to hear how other creators, founders, and inventors thought up their ideas, be sure to subscribe to Gray Matter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to rate and review an Apple Podcasts, and please tell a friend. If you like what we're doing, let us know. We love hearing from you. Follow Gray's social pages for more information about Gray and upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening. Gray Matter is hosted by John Petrulis. Produced by Joey Scarillo and John Dillon. Mixed by Guy Rosemarin at Townhouse Studios. Additional support from David Canavan, Christina Hyde, Grace McDougall, Andy Yancho, John Bicknell, Lydia Dizon, Abigail Hofflinger, and Ryan Cunningham. 
Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.